Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. If you could use a role model in the business world, a strong woman of color who was surrounded by managers who were white and or male, but continued to climb the ladder for 17 years to get to where she is today, well, this episode is for you. In fact, she has thrived on turning disadvantages into advantages. And as a Forbes contributor and a TEDx speaker, she has shared her personal journey to inspire and empower others. She's the author of two books. The first, The Misi News, 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants. And her latest book, Release, Use the Power of Forgiveness to Get Unstuck and Thrive in Your Career, is an amazing book. We're going to talk about it today. Her name is Christy Lindor, and this is her story. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Candy. All right, let's dive into Candy O's lightning round so that listeners can get a glimpse into your personality. I have five questions, and we're looking for your quick reaction to each one. Are you ready? Let's do it. You just had a baby. How many hours of sleep are you getting, sister? Oh, I'd say two. It feels like two a day at this you, point. You look pretty good for two hours of sleep. I know <laughs> that you are a political junkie. How do you get your news? I am a ne- cable news network junkie. Favorite sport to watch? I'd say basketball. Outgoing or shy? Meh, middle. What's the number one item on your bucket list? More travel. Where would you like to go? I'd love to go to Bali next. There's a snapshot. Thank you so much. We're going to dive right into your story. I believe that we are the sum total of our experiences. Let's go back to the beginning of your career. How did you get started in business as a consultant? I fell into it by accident. Growing up in a first-generation home, I didn't really know consulting. That just wasn't a career path that I was exposed to. Found out about it in college. I actually stumbled across a room of consultants, and I was a marketing major. That's actually how I found out about it. And I fell in love. I was actually super intrigued. The people in the room were really, really focused and passionate about solving clients' problems. They all did not live in the city of Boston. They were traveling in every week. And to me, that just sounded really, you know, adventurous, sexy. You know, just there was just something about it that it really pulled me in. I'm actually, I'm going to be 20 years into consulting next year. So you mentioned two things in that answer. The first was, I'm a first generation. Are you saying you're the first person in your family to go to college? First person to go to college. First person to come into the corporate space as well. Tell me a little bit about your college experience. Where did you go to school and you said you were a marketing major? I graduated from Bentley, but I actually started out at Quincy College. So it's not too far from here. Going from a community, you know, kind of a community college into a business school, I really had a very non-traditional way of getting into management consulting because most management consultants really come from prestigious Ivy League type of, of backgrounds. That did not stop me. I used my determination, my ethics to be able to, more work ethic to be able to make the leap into consulting. I'm imagining that you got out of college and you said to yourself, okay, I really thought those guys in that room had a really cool job. They're called consultants and I want to be one. Right. How do you get closer to that goal and make it happen? When there's something that I'm really interested, intrigued, or want to do, I actually, I call it obsession. I get obsessed. <laughs> 
And when I say obsessed, meaning that can look like doing a lot of research. I felt like I was stalking them all summer. I would go, I would take them out for coffee. I would see, okay, they're going to go to lunch. And, you know, I'm an intern, had a lot of different conversations. I shared my background. I'm also first-generation American. Uh, So a couple of them came from other countries. So we shared, you know, the differences of culture or value systems. And so I really just kind of got to know them over time. In knowing them, they shared more about the journey that they took. I didn't think of it from the lens of none of them look like me. I just said, you know what, if what they're doing seems cool, I want to be part of that coolness. So tell me about your first consulting job. It was really a wake-up call. (laughs) I say a wake-up call because I didn't realize a lot of things going into consulting that I think an individual kind of looking back at that experience should have been more prepared. Consulting is one of those industries, at least the type of consulting work that I do, where it's more of an apprenticeship model, meaning you really have to have people kind of showing you the ropes. You know, you're really going in to help solve client problems, business problems. And these are audacious, big goals, problems that can potentially impact the market. They can impact consumers. They can impact products. They impact families and lives and jobs. And so it's important that a consultant understands that responsibility and how they go about recommendations, being able to solve those types of problems. And I didn't realize how important it was to have that apprenticeship model or how much of a old boys club that the environment that I was going in was. How do you make sure that you're heard in a room full of men? I think if you had asked me that question 10 years ago, I, I think that would be a lot difficult question, you know, question to answer. Today, I speak. <laughs> That's how I get heard. You know, like I, I make sure that my opinions are at the table. I make sure that I, I work to be heard. And I do that in a way by being prepared. You know, I make sure that I, I know kind of the ins and outs of, of the market or if it's the client perspectives. Now I've created a, a level of credibility and command a level of respect. It took years for me to, again, figure that out. Like, you just have to kind of let go. And I remember there was times in earlier in my career, I would know the answer in the room when leaders or a CEO would ask. I would know the answer, but I didn't say anything. I kind of cheated myself in that. So I'd say that's that's one. The, the second part of that answer is also relationships and how you're able to create a level of vulnerability that balances professionalism, but also allows people to kind of get to know the authentic you. Again, this is years and years of experience for me to get to that point. It's nice to be here now. I think what I do, instead of focusing on, man, I wish I had about five or 10, eight, you know, five to eight years of, of more time to really be able to exercise these lessons. But what I've decided to do instead is let me share them. Let me share them with other younger people um, or, or it can be older people, but individuals that are in a transition and they don't know where to go or how to get advice. And that's actually kind of what led me and, you know, evolved into me writing books and, and articles. And I've spent now a lot of my time transitioning to just sharing my experiences and really helping those that, like myself, didn't have that exposure or that support system. You know, you were talking about your answer regarding how do you get heard in a room full of men. During the Obama administration, women within his administration started talking about something called amplification, which is where when you're at the table and another one of your colleagues, female, is brave enough, strong enough, empowered enough to jump in and be part of the conversation, as women, we need to back her up and say, yes, 
I like what Christy just said about blah, 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 right? Because you've got each other's backs. Not only were you in a non-traditional role for a woman, but you were also surrounded by men. How did you maintain your own femininity in a room like that? I personally have always kind of maintained the femininity. And when I say femininity, from my perspective, it's kind of two lenses. It's one is there's kind of the physical attributes, right, that comes with that. Being able to be a woman and, mm-hmm. and, and allowing those different roles. And I feel like that can be like a whole conversation all in and of itself. There's also ways of interaction. The few women that I did see in the spaces were very aggressive. In hindsight, were they really aggressive? Was it just they were really kind of on the same equal plane with the men that were around? But because society dictates that if a woman is assertive and she leads from a, you know, from a, 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 then, a, a place then of strength. Then she's a bitch. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's like, well, you know what? that So so it's, it's just been interesting in that now I don't care anymore because <laughs> I've gotten to a point where. If I have something to say and I know it's the right thing, I want to make sure I'm focused on my clients and focused on, you know, what we need to do as a team and making sure that my voice is heard. I've kind of let a lot of that go. And I feel like over time as in letting that go, I've become more confident. And it's not about all these other things that I kind of built up. There's a lot of layers of stuff you walk in before you even can perform, before you can even like say good morning or have a cup of coffee with someone. And people don't understand, like, sometimes that level of baggage that women, um, especially women of color, comes sometimes have to bring around with them. I think the difference is I made a choice and I said, you know what? I have to exist as I am. I can choose to create this, to, to kind of keep this as, as baggage and create this cloud, or I can choose to, to lift it and just operate as a consultant who just happens to be a Black woman, as opposed to it being a Black woman consultant. Let's talk a little bit about your career rise, because I think that in your field or in any field, it's so important to have a mentor, to have a sponsor, as they call it on the corporate level sometimes. As you were making your way up the ladder, as difficult as it was, and as singled out as you may have felt, did you ever have someone who was really on your team, who was really trying to help you get to where you wanted to go? In the beginning of my career, I'd say the first five years of my career, I didn't feel like I had any mentors. And I say that now because I had a different perspective or different worldview. My definition of a mentor or a sponsor at the time, I was looking for an older version of me. If you're in a place where you're one of very, very few, it's going to be hard to find someone that looks like me. So that in itself creates doubt. It, you know, you start to question, or is this really a place that you can thrive in if there's no one that kind of looks like you that's at an, an older space? And in hindsight, again, I'd have to blow up what I considered a mentor to look like or a sponsor to look like. And once I kind of gave up on this paradigm or this mental map of what I thought it would be, I realized, you know what, I actually did have individuals. They may have looked differently. They spoke differently. They came from extremely different backgrounds. They believed in me. They believed in my work. And I never saw them in that light. And so fast forward, now I do have mentors. I have sponsors. And again, they come from all all walks of life. And luckily, I have been privileged to find Black females that are, are, you know, or women just in general that are willing to mentor me. But again, it was it took me kind of an an evolution to be able to to get to that point. You know, you had mentioned when we first started talking 
that you are also a first generation American. So I wonder if you can take us back to, you know, share a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up and what the message was in your house and most importantly, where you learned your work ethic from. I grew up in the city of Boston. I am Haitian American. So my my family, they are uh, descendants from Haiti. Haitians are, they're very hardworking, very prideful, very, you know, it's about family, right? But at at the same time, most of the career paths, there's like three or four of them. (laughs) There's not a lot of range in terms of the talent. So you may be talented in a particular area, but if it wasn't deemed important enough. So for example, most people, you know, your your family shaped you, you know, you got to go to college. It's about getting good grades, you know, strong education. And then you become a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an engineer. That was like the three career paths. And if you kind of veered from that, it was like, what are you doing? You're going to fail in life. But in talking to other people, that kind of recipe for success was translated to a lot of different families. It wasn't just us. I think the difference is we had one shot at it. My family came here. They became U.S. citizens. We were representatives of all their hard work to get here. And so that put a lot of pressure on first-generation children, not just myself, anyone who's first-generation, they, they know the pressures. You don't have space to fail. Was there a golden rule in your house? There was a lot of golden rules. Tell um, me. I grew up, I'm, I'm the oldest of eight. Uh, there was six boys, like Brady Bunch. I had a couple of my, my stepbrothers, my brothers, and then I had my sister. Just a lot of golden rules. I think the biggest one was just, you know, making sure that you work for what you want. You know, that was the biggest thing that my mother really drilled in us is that if you want something, you got to work for it. And she always said, there's nothing you can't have. Right. It's just making sure that you work towards it. And I and I truly believe that. And I think that core value has been like a thread in my life and where even if it's something it's new, it's scary. I haven't done it before. I have no idea how to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. The first book that you wrote is called The Misi Muse, 100 Selected Practices, Unwritten Rules, and Habits of Great Consultants. You said that at one point in your career, you decided, you know what, I'm just going to teach people what I have learned. Is that what made you begin this book process and becoming a writer? It sure was. And I truly believe that we speak our future into existence. I opened the book with this story. I started my career on September 11th, 2000. Yes. Wow. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmasian, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. I was on a plane going to Richmond, Virginia, to my first client site that morning. I literally landed in the airport and the first plane had hit the towers in New York City. By the time I got to the client site, the second plane had hit. And, you know, in that time, I think by the time the third one hit in the field, it was very close to Virginia. So they shut the whole state down. Can you imagine that's how your career kicks off is on September 11th? 
in that week, I mean, it was a lot of chaos. And planes were grounded. So you were probably oh, yeah. stuck in Virginia was, for the entire week. I, well, yeah. we were, I was stuck there for, I'd say, about a month or so. We, we had to drive back and me and my colleagues had to drive back and forth. The reason I bring up that story. So so that's the beginning. That's kind of the unfolding of how my career started. I was all excited and, oh, I'm going to start this big consulting career. And that happens. Two days later, I walk into a client site. My manager is getting his head screamed and chopped off by my client. She came and she threw like papers at his face and papers went flying everywhere. And I'm like straight out of college. I don't know what's happening. Just going through these experiences, it was extremely tough. I just felt like I wasn't good enough. I always felt like, well, I wasn't smart enough because I was around a lot of really, really smart people. And I was like, well, I wonder how they chose me, you know? And and I just felt like, well, maybe I'm not this, I'm not that. And I spent a lot of time in this like, influx of just uncertainty. Consulting is is an industry that weeds people out and it's designed that way. Most people don't last in management consulting after three years. I didn't know that going into the industry, right? I think once I figured that out, I had to make a decision. And I said, you know what, Christy, you knew from back in school, you knew this is what you want to do. You got to make a decision. Are you in or are you out? Because if you're out, I need to take a different direction and I need to start to do things differently and I need to prepare for that. But if I'm in, I got to go all in. I can't let these things that I've built up, these stories that I've built up in my head and these beliefs hinder me from being the best consultant that I can be. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get the help that I need. I'm going to take accountability for my career. And the day that I figure all of this out, I'm going to tell everybody else how to do it. <laughs> so I feel like in, in making these 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 decisions and, and kind of putting this this energy out there and saying, you know what, it's tough, but I'm going to figure it out. When I did start to figure things out, people started to come to me. So I started to have younger interns or first years coming to me. How do you do these presentations? How do you do this Excel street? You know, and, and what happens is that you know, I'm traveling. I don't have time to like always speak to individuals. So I started creating these like Google Sheets. So I'll say, you know, if people ask me for something, I'll create a template and I'll like write up the directions of how to do stuff. And then I'd send it. So people are like, oh, how do you do a presentation? Oh, let me send you templates. I'll let send me you send stuff. you my presentation document. Yes. Let me send you my Excel document. And that was the beginning of the book. You're on the road. You're in front of clients, but you're also responsible back at the ranch to the person who hired you. And this is what's really interesting about being a consultant. I believe that when you're a consultant, you serve many masters. Is that true? I think so. I think I think it could be if you do not have a good sense of like kind of core values and, and how you manage relationships. Yes. Because you've got an expectation on behalf of the company that you work for. They're sending you as a consultant to company A. You need to be loyal to the people who sent you and loyal to the people that you're helping. You start writing these books and then you decide that you want to do a TEDx. Getting a TEDx is not easy. You have to hone your idea. You have to follow the rules of the TEDx. Talk about your topic and your experience doing that. Fast forward, I launched my first book. And at this time, I'm a lot more seasoned in my career. I'm a, I was actually up for a promotion. I remember working extremely hard. I thought I had lined up all my ducks in a row. And when I didn't get that promotion, that was the turning point for me to elevate to another level. Turns out that was actually one of the best things to happen to not get that promotion at that time because I went off and using forgiveness, I've been using forgiveness as a technique for years. It's almost like a survival mechanism. 
I used that technique. And in that moment, I decided to write an article online talking about why great people quit good jobs. In my moment of, of being pissed off, I wrote this article. The article goes viral. And that's how I got that TED Talk. Everything kind of just started to like accelerate in terms of how my brand took off. Because when I didn't get the promotion, the decision I made was I realized I was putting too much stock in one place in my career. I need to create a career portfolio and that needs to be centered around a brand. So it doesn't matter what, you know, if it's just one employer, it's about my brand and that transcending. Like I said, even though that happened and I was devastated, that ended up being a really important moment. And then guess what? Six months later, I got that promotion. Forgiveness in the workplace. Do we need to forgive wrongs done to us professionally in the same way as we forgive wrongs that are imposed upon us in our personal lives? When I look at forgiveness in the workplace, I think people have different definitions of what forgiveness means. And the way that I describe it in release, forgiveness doesn't mean everything is okay. I use forgiveness in the workplace as a as I mentioned, a mechanism of survival, meaning that doesn't matter what the individual or people or whatever the circumstance is that's happened, what really matters is what is my response and how can I take control of what I can control? Even if it seems really, really small, there's something that I can control. So if I go back to that, you know, that example about not being promoted. So yeah, I couldn't control the promotion process and how to decided who was slotted for what and what, and I, I didn't have any control over that. But what I did have control over was the fact that I put a lot of my time, I put a lot of my, my, my success in one spot and I needed to diversify a bit more. And I said, you know what, that little 10%, if I focus on that instead of the 90% that I can't do, let me focus on that and really go deep and that's where the magic happens. So, and, and again, that's just one example, but there's a lot of examples where we are devastated about what something happens. And it's like, well, to me, that just says you got to look at it differently. Release. Use the power of forgiveness to get unstuck and thrive in your career is the title of your latest book. I guess one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, do you believe that sometimes we have to change jobs to get unstuck? and be appreciated because there's a danger that we stayed too long? I say yes and no. And that's such a consultant answer, right? But <laughs> yes and no, it may not be changing jobs, but there definitely needs to be a change of some sort. And I think that's kind of where I talk about in the book, I, I really go, and it's really more of a guided journal, but I really kind of provide a framework where you really take time to reflect what is it that you really want? What's the true outcome that you're seeking? It may be a job change. It may be a responsibility change. It may be just a department change. Or you may decide, you know what, I want to relocate. It really runs the spectrum depending on where are you starting? What is it that you want? How can you make sure you're okay at the end of the day? Because again, forgiveness is self-care. Forgiveness brought into the workplace creates innovation. It creates ways of doing things differently. And it really helps you kind of stay accountable to you at the end of the day. Millennials are changing the workplace. They're changing the way we see our jobs. And there's a demand for a work-life balance. Things that in, in my generation were never asked in the workplace are being demanded of every single day. 
Do you see this in your work and where are we headed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think these changes are for the better. I know recently, I believe it's the the Business Roundtable, they've recently talked about redefining the purpose of a corporation. When was that ever happening? Like, you know, like when, where were you guys 20 years ago? You know, when I think about that, but companies need to be more focused on all stakeholders and not just shareholders. This is because of the, the net result of the millennials and, and other younger generations that are saying, you know what, there needs to be more inclusive, more purpose-driven ways of doing business. I feel incredibly blessed to have lived the earlier days of when, you know, it was all about P&Ls and, and, and that sort and all the other things. And, and to now see the evolution and be part of it, I think is a, a beautiful thing. And I, I, I look forward to seeing that happen. I think the biggest thing is I'm concerned about ensuring that this level of kind of humanity that's being brought into the business space is not thwarted by the robots. What AI and technology, all these disruptive technologies that are coming in, that's going to really kind of intersect and conflict with that, which is a stark difference from where the millennials are. So I think it's a really great time to be alive and to be part of this journey. Where are you with pay equality? Because I've got some interesting statistics here. 80% of what men make is where we are as women. Equal pay will not happen until 2059 for women and in 2119 for Black women and 2224 for Hispanic women. I mean, it's insane. It's scary to hear these years. I think what the years do offer, they give us a benchmark. So they give us an idea of, okay, here's where we're starting. But that doesn't mean, even though that's what it says we are now, That doesn't mean we have to accept that for truth. Nor does it mean we need to be complacent and wait for it to happen. Exactly. Absolutely. I feel like what it does do, it creates even more sense of urgency that these things need to be addressed. And we don't have, like you said, don't have to wait that long. I love the fact that we have a date. So even though people see the date and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that long. Let's say that there's a woman out there who's feeling really stuck where she is. What's the first thing you say to her? First thing I'd say is, why do you feel stuck? What is it about your your situation that has created this? Is this the first time that you've been feeling this way? And what does not unstuck look like for you? I like to write and journal. But if you start to kind of document, not just kind of just let it float in your head, but have a way to kind of be able to see it visually or write it down and to be able to take a step back and look at something with impartiality, I feel like that helps bring aha moments because sometimes we kind of get in our own way in terms of being too close to a situation and magnifying or amplifying it. And it's not that it's not serious. It probably is. But there's other ways to look at it. And sometimes you, you look at something, you're able to write it down, walk away from it, reflect on it and come back to it. Um, it's helpful. And also reaching out, you know, knowing you're not the only one most likely that's going through that. I think that's another thing as women, we tend to want to take on these lone ranger type of journeys. And it's like, we've got to figure it out. It's like, yeah, you can figure it out. But I'm sure there's others around you that have gone through it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel in figuring it out. I'm inspired to ask you how you're feeling about, first of all, I know you have a beautiful new one month old little baby boy. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. How are you feeling about working full time, having this little baby? Quite frankly, do you feel as if you have to compromise at all? You want to be with your baby, but you also want to have a career. I mean, where where are you with this? Yeah. Because that's some hard stuff there. 
and we've all been through it. I'm literally processing in real time, <laughs> like what what is the net new normal for me? I know I'm, st- I'm still on maternity leave. This is actually one of my first forays out of the house. Um, so I'm still on leave. And- We're having an adult conversation. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days really well. You will survive, I promise. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have to figure that out. I think what's really, really helpful is that um, my current employer is really flexible. You know, I'm in a space where I can work from home or I can, you know, work a couple of days or and, and my clients are typically flexible as well. I'm in a very fluid space, which I'm very grateful for. I kind of don't know what I don't know until like I get there. So I'll probably be able to have a better answer, I'd say, in the next six months or so. And you know what? There is no right or wrong answer. It just evolves. And it is just you're going to figure out what you can accept and what you can't accept. And you'll take it from there. This is just me giving you a little mother advice because we've all been down this road before. Yeah. couple questions that we ask everyone who sits where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I think the biggest thing is figuring out up front, why is it an obstacle? And, and again, I, I'm very reflective in that way. Why is it an obstacle? And what is it that I'm looking to do differently to be able to solve it? To take a moment and reflect before you make certain decisions can really make or break kind of the outputs and the outcomes that you have in your life. I found that to be very powerful, which is why, and I talk a lot about that in, in, in release. We all need someone who believes in us. Maybe it's a role model, it's a family member, it's a, it's a professional role model. Who has that person been for you? I've had a lot of people that have believed in me. And sometimes that's at moments that I don't believe in myself, quite frankly. I'd say the my biggest cheerleader obviously would would be my mom. She always believed in me. I, I don't know if I would have ever finished college. I started off at Quincy College. If it wasn't for her, I, I don't know if I would have gone uh, because I, again, I didn't see that in my environment. She believed in my my abilities, and she was like, "You're really smart. Don't let what you don't see, you know, keep you back." When I look at how my life has unfolded, I think. Of all the people that's believed in me along the way, if it wasn't for her as the beginning, I don't think I'd be where I am today. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And can you pass it along to our listeners here in the United States and then, of course, all around the world? Best piece of advice? Just do it. I feel like a lot of individuals, whatever they're, they're, they're wanting to do in their lives, you know, people are scared. Kind of what are people going to think? I'll wait until X happens. X can be, I'll wait till my kids grow up. I wait until I pay off the car. I wait until blah, 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 blah to do X. I think in losing my mom in the past and now having a, you know, having a son, I've realized there's nothing like now. Being in a space where you stay out of your comfort zone and stay in that growth zone is magical. And so I say, just do it. Success means different things to different people at different times in their lives. So right now, at this very moment, what does success mean to you? Success for me at this moment is really being like a kick-ass mom. You know, I, I really want to nail this thing down. <laughs> that's, the, that's the biggest thing. And, and I want to do so in a way that I'm able to raise a son, regardless of what he's going to do in his life. I don't know what that will be. I want him to be kind and I want him to be generous and I want him, you know, it's not about the colleges he goes to or all the success metrics that I think I I ran for, right? For him to be able to 
just be a, a wonderful person would, would be amazing. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you, Candy. Christy Lindor, the author of an incredible book you should go out and buy. It's called Release. Use the power of forgiveness to get unstuck and thrive in your career. Make sure you also take a look at her TEDx talk, which is really fantastic. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?